Well, if you would, with your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 14 through to 21. So Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through to 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and are able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Acrylium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. The word of the Lord. Now it is Reformation Sunday, and it is necessary to perhaps appreciate the need for a continual reformation, and indeed the need for a continual uh, transformation. And one of the ways that we speak of at least the transformation of understanding is often with sight. And I think verse 21 allows us to see that. In other words, sometimes when parents explain something to a child, or something has been explained from one person to another, the phrase is used, oh, now I see. And see is used as a synonym for understand. Now I understand. And that understanding leads to knowledge. And when it becomes knowledge, at least at the, at the point of reception through understanding, that person is then able to live in the light of the new knowledge because they understand it. It was always knowledge, but it was not always understood. And so at the point of understanding, you see. And that synonym to see is a good synonym, especially when we consider that the world and the pleasures of the world and the desires that are in the world have the ability to blind the Christian from the things of God. We don't see as we should. And so to see is a transformative act, especially in light of the gospel. And so what we're looking at this morning is part three in why do we worship God the way that we do. And the reason, simply put, as I've said in the last two weeks, is because this is the way that God has instructed us. But now we come to the point to emphasize how important it is for you to see that. And what I mean by see that, I mean understands that. So why should you see that worshiping God this way is the most appropriate way? Well, one, because it's in his word. 
The knowledge has always been there, but whether or not your understanding has is a different matter. And so I want you to understand verse 21, and so by implication I want you to see the God whom you worship. Now the reason for this is because our service, if it does not reflect the truth of the gospel, it is not truly a worship service. It is not really enabling us to worship God in spirit and in truth. And the reason being is because as we read and have learnt, hopefully, is that the gospel is the only means by which God has chosen to create people as a holy and acceptable offering to himself. There is no other way that your life can be holy or acceptable to God unless by means of the gospel. You are gospel people. You live in the light of the gospel message. And so we're not moving away this morning, away from what it means to worship God. What we're actually doing is we're moving deeper in to the truth of how you actually have come to worship God the way that you do. Paul considers himself in the priestly service of the gospel, the priestly service, someone who offers something to God as a holy offering. Well, you are that holy offering, and your life is acceptable to God. The question is, why is it acceptable to God? Why can your life be presented to God this morning as a living sacrifice? This is the very heart of Christian worship. The gospel creates worshippers because the gospel is the only thing that can create you into a living and holy and acceptable sacrifice that is exclusively for God. To do whatever God wants you to do in a world where everyone else is doing what they want to do. So what I want to do this morning is show you from the book of Romans that the gospel, at least the overall message of the gospel, is the transformation of an idolater into a true worshiper through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that your worship of God can be acceptable. And without that, you're not a true worshiper. You're an idolater. Now, we have seen that the way this relationship is explained throughout Scripture is by the word covenantal, or the covenant, or you have been covenanted to God in an agreement. Now, another way of putting this is that your relationship with God is lawful. There are obstacles that have to be overcome for you to enjoy a relationship with God. And so not only is there agreement in terms of your obedience to the word of God, the obstacles through the shedding of Christ's blood is the only thing that will enable you to be able to be presented to God as a holy and a living sacrifice. That's the only thing. And so Christ's blood is not only better because it is human blood, as we heard in Andrew's message on Hebrews, It's not just because it's human blood, though that is true, human blood for sinful human people, but it is also true because it speaks a better message, better that than the blood of Abel. Christ's blood speaks reconciliation. Christ's blood speaks forgiveness. Christ's blood speaks redemption. 
Christ's blood is that which overcomes all the obstacles that prevent you as a sinful person from coming to a God who is holy. And so now we understand that the gospel, the very heart of the gospel, is exactly that which makes us the type of people who can draw near to God and worship him in spirit and in truth. So the blood of Christ is a better message, better than that of the Old Testament, better than that of any animal sacrifice. And so in the new covenant, we become new covenant people in his blood. The new covenant is made in the blood of Christ. And Paul says, it is because of this that I am a minister to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel, so that as I proclaim the gospel to men and women, boys and girls, and they are then converted after hearing the word of God, those lives are then offered to God as a holy offering. It is the Gentile converts who are the offerings. It is you who are that holy offering to God by means of the gospel. And so often, we tend to think that when we give our tithes and offerings, we are given something in addition to ourselves or outside of ourselves. But true worship and true offering is to give yourself to God as a living sacrifice, or rather, for you to be given to God by the means of the gospel. It is the gospel which takes you from where you are to God by transforming you into a living and acceptable and holy sacrifice reserved only for God. And so you may have noticed sometimes when you walk into a church and it is a wedding and at the front you will see that there are reserved signs on the seats. Now, of course, if you're a well-behaved Christian, you don't move them. And as you walk into the church and you see them, and you understand that this seat is not for me. It has been reserved for somebody else. And so as you come to faith in Christ Jesus, your life is now reserved for God's exclusive use of you. The world doesn't get any part of you anymore. You are holy and set apart to do in this world whatever God wants to do with you. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. You are reserved. You are set apart for God's exclusive use of your thoughts, of your words, and of your deeds from the moment you come to faith in Christ Jesus. God will do with you whatever he pleases to do. And you will understand that. You will then see that you have been transformed in things like desires change and behaviors change and everything begins to change because you have gone through a transformative process by the means of hearing the gospel of Christ. And so the point here this morning is for you to recognize that without the gospel, worship of God cannot be true, good, or beautiful. It is the very means by which God uses to take an idol, idolater, and turn him or her into a true worshipper of God. So let's just look at these verses together, beginning in verse 14. 
You'll notice that Paul is quite satisfied um, with the church in Rome because they're obviously perhaps a well-established church. They're able to instruct one another. Um, and of course, that's what the gospel produces in people, people who look out for one another, people who have knowledge. And again, I want to make this distinction between knowledge and understanding. Knowledge exists prior to your understanding of it. When you understand, it becomes knowledge to you. And then you're able to live in light of that knowledge. And then you become mature. And then you're able to live in light of what you know to be true. And then you can instruct one another. But without that, um, it is not possible for a blind man to lead a blind man. Um, and therefore, it's not possible for someone with less knowledge to teach someone with greater knowledge. That's not the way that it works. It is the other way around for a reason. Uh, water flows downhill from the highest point to the lowest point. And that is exactly the same way that you learn. You learn from those who know more. You are instructed by those who know more, or at least if they do not know more but know a little and can perform what they know well in terms of discipline, you can learn from them in that way. But it's verse 16 where I want our attention to be spent this morning. Now, Paul describes himself as a liturgos, as a servant, not as an apostle, as a minister, not as an apostle, but a liturgos, a servant, okay, to be a minister, to be a servant of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Notice the image that Paul is giving to you. He sees himself as a priest in the world proclaiming the gospel so that he can then present these newly converted Gentiles to God as a holy offering because it is the gospel which has turned them into that holy offering. And so the role of every father in the home is to be a priestly minister of the gospel. Your role as a father is to look at your children, the God-given mission field, and the covenant that he has made with them through you, and go, my role is to teach them the gospel so that their lives can be presented to God as a holy offering that is acceptable. And of course, when we evangelize out in the world, that's exactly what we're doing. Because the motivation for evangelism, which I will come to, is not because a person is lost, but rather because God deserves to be worshipped. You, you can have a man-centered version of evangelism, or you can have a God-centered version of evangelism, uh, in which you will not lose your motivation. But sometimes you can lose your motivation very quickly, but we'll come back to that in a moment. The point here is for you to understand that the gospel is the means which God has chosen to turn a false worshipper into a true worshipper. And those who proclaim the gospel like Paul does here is considered as the priest going out and making sure that he only ever presents holy offerings to God. And the way that he can ensure that that happens is by making sure he does it by means of the gospel. Because a transformed life is what we are looking for. And then Paul goes on to speak about this ministry, knowing that he can only boast in Christ alone for the work, but he doesn't want to build on another man's found 
foundation. And so the obedience, the, the Gentiles will be brought to obedience by faith in the word and deed. And so you get this beautiful picture of God who deserves to be worshipped, who has then given us this message to make sure that any person we present to God is holy and acceptable because God will not receive offerings with blemishes. God will not receive a blemished offering. And the gospel is how you go from being a blemished person, a sinful person, to a holy offering that can then be presented to God as a living sacrifice. The gospel is the only thing that can achieve that transformation. And so if you've read Romans before, let me just give you an overview of why this is the case. If you were to read the book of Romans and look down on it from above, what you would read is this. You would see a clear picture of transformation. That in Romans chapter 1, you have idolaters. You have those who are false worshippers. You have those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They have exchanged the glory of God for created things. And instead of worshipping the creator, they worship things that have been made by others or that they have been made by themselves. They are false worshippers. They are not non-worshippers, but they are false worshippers. And the, the idea of being an idolater goes back to the principle that we are created to worship God. And that doesn't go away in the fall. You don't stop becoming a worshipper. What changes in sin is what you worship. It's the object of your worship that changes. And because man is created to be a worshipper, when he suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, which is not an intellectual problem, okay, people don't believe in God not because it is intellectually ineffective to win an argument that way, they don't believe in God because they are morally corrupt. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And as they suppress the truth, they end up changing the object of their worship from the triune God of Scripture into whatever else they desire. That's what's happening. They don't stop becoming worshippers. They are simply becoming a different type of worshipper, which we call an idolater. Then if you read, for instance... Romans 12, you begin to see of how a Christian who is called to see in light of the mercies of God to present their bodies to God as a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable and is their spiritual worship. The question then is how does a person go from being a false worshiper of idols to a true worshiper of God? How does that happen? And so when you read Romans 5 and 6, not to exclude the other chapters, but when you read Romans 5 and 6, you see that the way an idolater becomes a true worshipper of God is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the transformative act of the gospel. That the, at the very heart of the gospel, we see the transformation of an idolater into a true worshipper of God. And the gospel is the means by which that transformation happens. You go and read Romans for yourself, and you will see from beginning to end that it begins with idolaters, 
and it ends with living sacrifices. And the change happens because of one man's righteousness dying for the many. And out of that transformation comes these people, as Paul says, these Gentile converts who can now be presented to God as a living and holy offering. That is how your life has become a true worshiper. You now worship the God of Scripture because you have received and heard the gospel. And of course, in Romans 6, we have very clearly a definitive sanctification, which means that as a person, whether you realize this or not, and you really should, that you are able to say yes to God and no to sin. That in Christ Jesus, by virtue of your union with Christ, you are able to say yes to God and no to sin. And so the idea that you can have some pop songs which say, well, I was born this way, or you can have some Christians which believe that lie, that you were, you were born in, in such a way, you, you can't help the way that you're born, is to sort of deny, firstly, how God made man in his image, and secondly, to deny the very power of God in the gospel that leads to the transformation of a human being. I can't change. This is the way God's made me. No, it isn't. That is the way sin has made you. And the gospel is the means by which you will be transformed. And so in Christ Jesus, what we see is the very transformation of a sinful person into a holy offering. If you ever wanted to know what the value of your sinful life is, sorry, your sinless life is, if you ever wanted to know what the value of your life being sinless is, just look at the death of Christ. Do you want to know how much it costs for your life to be without sin? Go to the cross. Do you want to know how much it costs for your sin to be covered and dealt with? Go to the cross. If you want to know how much it costs for your life to be a holy offering to God, someone that can actually be presented to God and not be rejected, then go back to the cross. And so the point here is the gospel is the means by which an idolater is transformed into a true worshiper. But notice, the way that person worships God is by offering their life to God as a living sacrifice. They're giving themselves to God by means of the gospel. And so Paul, in the priestly service of the gospel, goes out into the world preaches the gospel to the Gentiles because there is no way they can approach God in their current condition. There is no way they can be presented to God as they are. And it is the gospel which leads to that transformation, which means they are then able to be presented to God as a holy offering. So what does this mean then when it comes to evangelism? Well, imagine for a moment that your idea of evangelism was somewhat person-centered. I mean, how much love do you have for another person? Do you have enough love for them not to face the judgment of God without Christ Jesus? And the answer is, well, I would certainly hope so. The trouble is, is how, often, how many people have you spoke to about the gospel this week? Well, does, isn't that questioning how much you love them? 
And so now you begin to understand that there's a real pressure here of how, how much we actually believe this gospel message. But secondly, if it is a man-centered gospel, something like this could happen. That I start proclaiming the gospel to this person, and then they turn around and say something horrible to me, and all of a sudden, I don't love you anymore, right? Or I get out of bed on the wrong side one morning, and I just decide I don't want to be like Jesus today, right? Because it's hard work to be like Jesus. And now I give up on that person. Because that person's chosen their way, just let them go with what their choice. But if I have a God-centered version of evangelism, which is the biblical version, then I cannot help but look at every single person in the world as someone whom ought to be offering to God holy worship. I cannot but help look at a person and go, God deserves to be worshipped by them. And so the moment I am motivated by what God wants rather than what's best for the individual, suddenly I don't give up because God's love for me and I can't fall out of love with God. I love God because he first loved me. And so my whole motivation now towards my children, towards your children, towards the neighborhood is God-centered. Right? God deserves to be worshipped by every single one of the lives in this building without exception. And so the reason we pursue is because God deserves to be worshipped. But here's the beauty of it, as I said last week, that when we worship God properly, it is actually the greatest benefit that we could ever receive from God. And when worship is all about God, at that point, it is also about you. Because it is the means by which you will become like what you worship. And so in light of Romans chapter 12, what we read is this, that we are firstly the holy offering that is presented to God, the living sacrifice. Now the trouble is this, that living sacrifices are subject to change. Dead sacrifices are not. When you have a lamb without spot or blemish, you can bring it to God. And once it's dead, it's dead. It cannot change beyond that. But you, someone created in Christ Jesus to be this holy offering to God, are subject to change. And so remember how Asaph in Psalm 73, a life that should have been devoted wholly to God, began to change the moment he began to see what others had. And I've said before that we cannot help than become like what we worship. We cannot help but change in accordance with what we focus on. Okay, the reason why the worship of God is so important is because you become like what you worship. And so if you're worshipping something else other than God, or you're worshipping God in a way that you shouldn't be, like those who are worshipping God through the golden calf, you are not becoming like what you meant to become like. You're actually becoming something else. And so Asaph is becoming what he likes, what he sees. He, be, he, is becoming, he is being conformed to the world around him through sight. And it's only when he comes back into the sanctuary of God that he then begins to see clearly. He begins to understand that in the world, I am blinded by how I am conformed by the world. And it's only when you come back to God 
is that actually dealt with? And so in Romans 6, as I stated earlier, Romans 6 is the chief point in which you are instructed that from now on, you are no longer under bondage to sin. You can say yes to God and you can say no to sin. And so when you don't say no to sin now as a Christian, I want you to understand you are not being forced to, you are wanting to. That when you say yes to sin now, you are not being forced to say yes to sin. You may be manipulated by the world around you, you may be manipulated by the desires of others, but you are still wanting to be manipulated so that you can enjoy that little pleasure and that sense of escape because the pressure of formation is so great. Okay, we love, we love distraction. We love um, a break from formation because changing is so very uh, difficult. But in Christ Jesus, you can actually say now, yes to God and no to sin. And so there's no reason to be distracted, but here's why you will be. The first thing is this, that none of you have predetermined desires. None of your desires are fixed. If they were, you would never break the 10th commandment because you would never desire what your neighbor has. But the reason we break the 10th commandment, the reason we covet what others have, is because we are shaped by the desires of others. And so when we begin to desire the desires of others, when we begin to desire what others have, we are then shaped in accordance with those desires. Hence, we go back to the living sacrifice and how important it is for you to live in light of the mercies of God so that your desires are shaped by the mercies of God and not by the world around you. And so I firmly believe that the reason why air services take the shape that they do is because form leads to formation. The form of our service, the shape of our service, leads to the shape of our lives. That the moment we are not distracted by the world, but are brought here to focus exclusively on God and our life before God, we are being shaped by that formation. Because as we see in Psalm 115, people become like what they make. They become like the form. And so the form leads to the formation. And so distractions are nothing more than you not wanting to be asked the questions of yourself. A distraction is you avoiding the difficult questions concerning your life. That's what distraction is. These questions are just too much for me. I can't take it now. And so we enjoy the distraction because it is a distraction from self. You can't live with yourself. It's just too much to consider. It is a distraction from formation, from the person that God is making you into. And so you seek distraction from it. And that often leads to being conformed by the world because your desires are not fixed. And so the purpose of your life before God now is to consider the mercies of God so that your desires are shaped by that and not by the desires of the world. Because the moment your desires are shaped by the world around you, you will then be conformed by those desires. 
You will then take the shape of the world around you rather than the God who saved you. This is how crucial it is for you to understand as a living sacrifice. And so the reason why our services take the form that they do is because form leads to formation. The reason why our services focuses on the very central act of the gospel is because we are shaped by those things which God has given us to make us a holy offering. In other words, if it's possible for you to love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, which it is, then you should do it. But it is also possible, isn't it, for you, for your body to be here, but for your mind to be elsewhere. And if your body is here and your mind is elsewhere, then do not be confused. Because at that point, you are no longer worshipping God as he ought to be worshipped. Because if the command is for you to love God with all your mind, and your mind is not here, it's elsewhere, then how and why do you believe you're worshipping God properly? You're not. And so the reason why we have the readings that we do, the reason why we have the scriptural readings, the, we, the reason why we have the confessions and the hymns and the psalms that we do, it is to focus our mind and our heart completely on God, free from any form of other distraction. The reason we move through the service that we do, including all the things that we do, is because as a people you are so easily distracted. And we need this structure to keep our mind and heart on God from beginning to end so that it sets a pattern for the rest of the week. This is why we worship God the way that we do. Cecil Paulson once said this. I mean, you won't know who Cecil Paulson is. <clears throat> but Cecil Paulson said that if children don't find a church in the home, they won't find a home in the church. In other words... What I'm saying doesn't just stay in here. It's to make its way into your home. And then it's to make its way into the workplace. Because you're just as likely to be formed out there by other things, or perhaps even more likely, than you are in here by what you're hearing this morning. It is your responsibility before a holy God to consider the mercy so that your desires mean that your life begins to take the shape that God wants it to, rather than the world around you. Well, let me close with this. Here's the exhortation. You are a worshiper. The question is, what type of worshiper will you be? Will you be a worshiper of idols by suppressing the truth of God? Or will you be a worshiper of the triune God of Scripture because you are considering the mercies that you have received in the gospel? And what that means is this that your life is set apart for God's exclusive use to do whatever God wants of you in this world without exception. That is what it means for your life to be a living sacrifice. Amen. Let me pray. Gracious God and Father, we ask of you this morning that you take the words that we have heard and you place them deep within our heart that they would spring forth the kind of fruit from your word that only your word can produce. We ask your blessing upon us that we may be the very people that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.